Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. A fundamental misconception about decentralization is the conviction that it's done for its own sake. Think about that for a second. Is decentralization either, is it is it the end or is it a means to an end? I spoke to Ryan Taylor, the CEO of the Dash Core Group. They believe that in reality, it's merely a means to an end, namely the removal of a central bank and all the different properties and utility that come with central banks. Those things can be decentralized. How? Well, we talked about it today. What we actually need, Dash believes, not as much decentralization as possible, but rather just enough to remain protected from hostile takeovers. And we actually went through scenarios of, you know, what happens if the government walked up to the Dash Core Group's office and threw them all in jail? How would Dash survive? The actual answer is not only would it survive, but it would thrive because it would show how decentralized the system is and how decentralized the project is. I actually learned a lot on this show because I'm a naysayer. But what was interesting is that Ryan and I actually disagreed on a few aspects, but we were able to stay very respectful of each other. Dash fundamentally believes that there's a balance to be struck between decentralization and efficiency. You know, like total decentralization, meaning every network participant runs a full node. It's equal to total inefficiency, they believe. No one can run a full node on their phone, for example, and neither should they be expected to because weak hardware hurts the total network performance like the weakest link in a chain. We talked about these different topics. We talked about how user friendliness, user experience is as important, if not more than decentralization, but at the same time maintaining that, right? Talked about master nodes and how Dash really pioneered the concept of a master node talked about what the hell is a super block, what is the Dash Core group, and what the hell is the Dash Distributed Autonomous Organization. All this and more coming up right after the ads. How do you actually live your life on crypto? How do you do it? I've been doing it since I first got started with Bitcoin back in, what, like 2011. But since 2016, I've been using the BitPay debit card to spend my Bitcoin on a day-to-day basis. And it's been such a great product that I've been using it for over three years. BitPay is now sponsoring Untold Stories, and they're going to be giving away free Visa debit cards to all my listeners. All you have to do is visit bitpay.com forward slash Charlie. It's such an easy card to use. You get the card in the mail, you download the BitPay app, you put Bitcoin on the app, and when you want to send Bitcoin from the app into your debit card, it only takes a few seconds and you can spend your Bitcoin anywhere credit cards are offered. It's really so easy. You almost wonder like, why didn't this come out in 2011 when Bitcoin first launched? Well, it was very difficult to do. In fact, I actually tried to launch my own debit card, but I wasn't able to because the credit card companies were very reluctant to do it. But now BitPay launched their product and a lot of other companies have launched credit cards and debit cards using Bitcoin over the years. I still will only use the BitPay card. I'm very loyal to the brands I like um, and I hope you guys are too. The fees are very low. You can use it to withdraw cash at ATMs. You can use it all around the world with very, very low fees. A lot of companies have tacked on 
like super high fees, and I don't like that. So check it out, bitpay.com forward slash Charlie. That's bitpay.com forward slash Charlie. You get a free card. You don't have to pay for it. Usually the card costs like 10 bucks or more. There's a commitment, but you don't have to do that here. It's a free card. There's literally no reason to not try it out. I've been using it for over three years. So check it out. You're a super loyal podcast listener and you've been listening to my show for a while. So you know that Bitpanda, which is a company based out of Austria, has been working with me for a few months now. And I'm a huge fan of Vienna and I'm a huge fan of Bitpanda. Let me tell you a little bit about them. Bitpanda is the leading European platform for investing in digital assets. Their core product is an easy to use crypto on-ramp and digital asset broker. They have over a million users, so you know they really care about their customers. What's amazing about Bitpanda is really how easy it is to set up an account and get going. They recently launched their own educational platform, and this is super cool, so check it out. Take a listen for a second, where you can learn all about Bitcoin and more. It's free, regularly updated, and you can earn five euro for free when you complete the quiz. So make sure you check it out, bitpanda.com. They are a big sponsor of ours, and please give them some love because they love me. Over the years, a lot of companies have tried doing crypto social networking. But the problem is that there are a lot of really good social networking apps already out there like Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. How do we build a social network that's perfect for crypto? Well, I want to talk about Pepo, our newest sponsor of Untold Stories. Pepo is an amazing social media app that's built for the crypto community. What's really cool about it is that you can get rewarded for uploading and putting out good content, and you can also reward with crypto people who put up content that you really, really like. It's fast and simple, and it's the first crypto-powered app to be approved by the Apple and Google app stores. You can find me on Pepo right now at Charlie Shrem, the same handle as my Twitter, and I'm going to be posting interviews, travel videos, and more. So make sure you check out Pepo. It's super cool. Pepo.com. Enjoy it. Untold Stories wouldn't be here without the amazing production company, Blockworks Group. A few months ago, I approached Blockworks Group and I said, hey guys, I want to do a show, Untold Stories. Can we make it happen? And these guys are the only event and podcast production company that I trust. Really, the show is powered by them and it wouldn't be here today without the amazing work of the Blockworks Group team. So for access to all the premier digital asset conferences and to check out their other podcasts in their network that they produce, check them out at blockworksgroup.io. That's blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. A lot of times on this show, I'll bring on guests and topics that interest me. Um, Things that, you know, I think are cool, quirky, but also um, different topics and discussions that you know, we're not talking about things that have been around for so long. And we're very fortunate today to have on the show, Ryan Taylor, who is the CEO of the Dash Core Group. Now, if you've noticed, I didn't say the CEO of Dash because there's no such thing. So what is the Dash Core Group? Well, actually, it's good we have Ryan to tell us about it. Ryan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I have to say, when I first found out about Dash and I, and I, you know, I went to, to your, to your Reddit and I read the sidebar, um, you know, I didn't know much about it. And it was one of the first things that struck out at me was how much you care about product and 
user experience. And the reason I'm, I want to bring that up, and most people are going to listen, it's like, well, who gives a shit? So does every crypto. But no, no, no. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. And, and, and I want, and, and I'd like for you to respond. Um, if you talk to, you know, developers, you talk to um, a lot of people who are involved in Bitcoin, Ethereum, et cetera, et cetera, a lot of the mantra is, if we build it, they will come. And we need, we need decentralization, we need scalability, we need security, and we need privacy. But as you know, Ryan, when you do that, user experience falls to the wayside. It's very difficult to maintain, you know, a rich user experience, but have at the same time, you know, a, a, a path to decentralization, privacy, and security. So I guess my question is, at what point in the history of Dash, and I know the history goes on, at what point did you guys all kind of sit in a room and say, hey, like we should focus on product, we should focus on user experience almost first or concurrently, right, at the same time, but with the same amount of fervor. Um, and we'll talk more about, you know, what you guys did with the Dash DAO and how the master node and how super blocks work. But did you guys kind of like sit in a room and say, hey, we really need to to focus on this and evangelism and, you know, like Dash is the most widely used currency in Venezuela today. So, I mean, like, did you guys all sit in a room and say, we need to focus on this? Well, I think that we developed our views on product over time, um, both through experience and trying to apply best practices from other payment solutions in the in the payments ecosystem. And so I don't think there was like a day in which we all sat in a room and decided we were going to focus on product, but we have evolved our product approach and made it far more sophisticated over time. The way that a lot of these projects go about solving problems is they identify a potential improvement. And they say, okay, great, I can make this more secure if I do X, Y, and Z. Or I could increase scalability if I do A, B, and C. And that's great. Those are improvements. But was that the problem that needed to be solved necessarily? And so our approach is let's start with the problem and identify the technologies that will solve it. Um, that's obviously broad. Yeah, that sounds great in, in practice. Yeah. In and, and so, I mean, it, we basically uh, did a combination of identifying what really great payment systems that experienced a lot of growth had um, and tried to bring that over to cryptocurrency. And then we also identified what are the big problems that average users have with cryptocurrency and how can we solve those? And so we've we've really taken a very targeted approach to the improvements that we're making. And some of the big ones that really differentiate Dash is it, it's the first uh, instantly settled um, uh, cryptocurrency, which means not only can I transact instantly, but those funds settle instantly and I can respend them safely. Um, without any risk of a double spend. Before you, you before you you move on and and expand on that, um, I want to highlight something you just said. You you said this term, average crypto user. That's very interesting that you said that because 
I, you don't hear that often. Um, a lot of crypto, um, and I'll use Bitcoin for example, I guess at this point, almost like if you were to tell me right now, hey, Charlie, is Bitcoin ready for the average user? Listen, I'm a permable for life. I'm ride or die like with crypto, right? But if you tell me if it's ready for the average user, Ryan, I'm almost going to tell you no. And, and that's okay. Like, I'm okay with that. I don't think that it's ready yet. But you're telling me that out of the gate, you're building this for the average user. And I don't know if you've ever heard me give talks, but I've, I've brought up um, Dash in a, few, in a few talks. And one of the things that I almost always say is the Dash uh, users, the users that are using Dash, they aren't, you know, yes, you do have your you know, you know, your ideological fervor type people using it, of course, but you have probably hundreds of thousands of average users. And what I've talked about in that talk is that, and, <clears throat> and this is something I really want to point out that I, you need to be given more credit for this. And I don't care if I get trolled on, on the Twitter for this, but you need to get more credit for this. Um, the guerrilla marketing, and you know what I'm talking about. You guys are out there bringing on people to crypto. And yes, they may be entering with Dash, but if you look at the statistics, most people who own crypto own more than one. So first of all, thank you for that. Um, but secondly, why, why, why isn't that message pushed out more? Why don't I see that being talked about? You know, it's a tough one. I honestly don't know. Uh, if you look at Dash's growth in terms of transactions, in terms of wallets, it's very clear that we're gaining users at a pretty rapid rate. Um, looking back over the last uh, four quarters uh, on our last quarterly report that, that we submit to the community, um, we had double digit transaction growth every single quarter. Uh, we had very rapid growth in active wallets on active devices, especially in Venezuela, where cryptocurrency adoption is, is actually occurring. Can I just say something? I've never seen anyone ever say that we give our users a quarterly report. Okay, continue now. Yeah, I think that transparency is really important and tracking metrics that matter for the long term. And so I you know, I, I think when you when you look at the statistics, they're incredibly impressive. And not all cryptocurrencies have grown every quarter over the last year in terms of their usage. Uh, we compare ourselves against Litecoin and Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin and, and other trackable metrics. And a lot of those quarters were down quarters for, for the market as a whole. And so we've had this very consistent growth. Um, in, in usage. And when you look at the wallet downloads, again, you know, we've seen something like 50,000 wallets in, in Venezuela alone. And so I, I think that um, these are the metrics that really matter for long term is you have to have people actually using it as a currency. And um, I think that there's a lot more that needs to be done in order to make it more user friendly. Uh, you know, the speed of it is certainly an issue. 97% of all transactions still take place at the point of sale. Only, only about 3% globally is online. And so it has to work instantly. It has to work at the checkout. Um, 
cryptographic addresses are not something users should see. Our next major release, um, we're enabling the ability to create a username and a contact list so that you don't have to exchange addresses every time you want to transact with someone. You can just send it to their username. And so we, we really believe that you know, if you're going to get adoption, you have to address these real-world pain points that people that aren't into cryptocurrency run into when they try to use it. And so that that's really been our focus um, for the last roughly five years uh, is really focused on user experience. The metrics that matter are with user experience. So you talk about user experience and, and you guys are focused on that. And that's one aspect. But at the same time, we are in a crypto industry. I mean, that's that's where we are, where you're a cryptocurrency. So there are a lot more aspects besides for user experience um, that needs to be focused on. So one of those is is decentralization. And um, I want to preface it by this. No crypto is fully decentralized. Um, I believe, and I know I get a lot of flack for saying this, um, that, and this is my belief, that all cryptos currently, you know, are on a spectrum, that on a decentralized spectrum, and, you know, you look at ones like Dash, Bitcoin, um, and um, Litecoin, you look at, I don't want to start throwing names out, but you look at, the, you know, the ones that we use and that are top... I would say those are like on the path to decentralization. Nothing's fully decentralized. But then you have some of the other coins and tokens that um, from the outset are not and don't try to be, you know, look at Hex, Richard Hart's, you know, bullshit scam, or you look at BitConnect and these are pretending they're cryptos, but they're scams or outright there to steal money from people. Um, so so we go back to the we go back to the crypto and, and on the path of decentralization, 99.9% um, .9 of cryptos, Bitcoin included, focus on decentralization when it comes to the miners. So it's not as focused when it comes to the users or um, uh, different aspects of the industry, but it's mostly the miners because the miners in Bitcoin, at least are the ones that have the ability to do a 51% attack and do, um, and, and they're the ones that need to be incentivized the most in Bitcoin. How is Dash different than that in terms of where you're incentivizing uh, decentralization? Well, uh, there's a lot of different uh, components there to unpack. Um, yes, and we can go through each yeah, one. There's, there's incentives <clears throat> to, uh, in terms of what type of activity you're incentivizing on the network itself. Um, in that regard, Bitcoin and most cryptocurrencies allocate 100% of their block reward, 100% of their transaction fees towards mining um, in order to encourage as much mining as, as possible. Whether or not that actually results in decentralization of mining, I think that's a separate question. Um, a, you know, mining as it exists today is an industry, and I believe that you know, the dynamics of the industry are um, driving towards centralization, not away from it, um, or driving, yeah, driving towards centralization because the lowest cost operators generate the most profit, which allow them to grow faster than the rest of the mining industry. And so, you know, I think there's a problem there with just essentially quote, throwing money 
at miners and hoping that that leads to decentralization. Um, one of the things that Dash has done in this regard is insulate itself against the possibility of mining centralization. Um, Dash is 51% attack proof because we introduced a new technology called chain locks that prevent chain reorganizations, including 51% attacks, but uh, other types of you know, reorganizations as well. And so once a chain lock occurs, that block is immutable on our network. And so um, we, we've done some things to kind of insulate a, against that type of risk. But we've also allocated our block reward differently than other projects. Uh, and the way that that works is, is currently 45% goes towards mining. Uh, another 45% of our block reward goes towards um, infrastructure. These are the master nodes that we haven't touched on yet. Um, and they provide specific functionality to the network, um, including security, and they facilitate the instant transactions. They pr facilitate privacy features. And they also uh, oversee our governance system. Uh, and the last 10% goes towards what we call treasury or our proposal system. Anyone is free to put up a proposal to the network to do something. This is where Dash Core Group and many other entities get their funding from. Um, it's a monthly cycle. The masternodes vote on those proposals and the highest ranking proposals pay out as part of a monthly cycle. And so, um, it is decentralized in, in the sense that um, you know anyone can participate. But I, I think we need to ask ourselves, is decentralization of everything always good? No, and, it's a balance, but that's what you say. So a lot of people respond differently to that. Exactly. Um, I, I actually think that decentralization of the network itself, decentralization of the power within it, that's really good, but it isn't necessarily a good thing to decentralize development work or decentralize uh, the strategy for growth or decentralize um, messaging and marketing about the network. Um, I think there's real benefits in having cohesive strategy and cohesive messages. Uh, businesses know this. And so how can a decentralized network delegate that responsibility to a set of people that can deliver on that? And as long as they retain the power to revoke that authority and give it to someone else, um, I think that's a healthy thing. And so I, I think we have to ask ourselves what decentralization is valuable and where is decentralization not that valuable? And, and if, it's, if it's better to go a different route with a particular aspect of the network, let's just make sure that that authority is granted in a decentralized way, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And so I just want to formulate my thoughts here because this is a moment that needs to be taken, um, taken seriously. And I'll tell you why. Um, so. I see your belief and I see the, you know, the belief in the mantra of Dash and, and I respect that a lot. And I, and I believe in the balance of things like, like you're saying. Um, and so by, by owning Dash, it allows me to, to participate in that experiment, right? It allows me to participate and 
it hedges me from me being wrong. What do you, what do I mean by that? <clears throat> so in this situation, I may not agree with you. Um, and that's, that's okay. Cause you know, I feel like this whole thing is just one big socioeconomic experiment. So my, my belief, and, and I'm, I could be wrong, um, is that the lack of governance and the lack of, um, you know, the, this infrastructure is good enough governance in and of itself. Now, maybe not for like the whole world or anything like that, but, but as a social experiment, I'm really intrigued to, to see how, you know, for example, with Bitcoin, where there's an immense lack of governance, but that creates governance in and of itself. And so what you, what, what you guys are doing is different because you're saying that, that there needs to be a balance and decentralization is very important and incentivizing various decentralization, you know, various parties is important. But at the same time, having having a balance and having governance and having different checks and balances is important too. So I agree with you, but I agree with me too, right? And so here's a situation where like we can disagree, but we can we can still have, you know, respect for each other. But at the same time, as long as I'm owning Bitcoin and Dash, it doesn't matter who's right because we're hedging ourselves down the road. You know, and this whole, like, Ryan, this whole, like, tribalism thing that we see even today is so stupid, right? It's so dumb. Why, why, why does that still exist? Especially with a very open community like Dash, you don't see the, the troll army that you see with, like, Ripple and some of the other ones. Um, why isn't that? Why don't, why, why do some projects and coins and tokens have, like, their troll army or, like, the the hostility, but, but other ones don't, you know, like you look at the, and this is not my opinion. Anyone could go right now and go look, go look at the dash forums, look at the dash Reddit, uh, and then go look at the Ethereum Reddit and the Ethereum forums. Fuck, go look at the Bitcoin one and you'll see a difference in attitude. How have you been able to foster that and why? I I think you have to look at what is the source of a lot of that. It's, it's really emotional. Right. Uh, And I think people develop an emotional attachment to the projects that they are involved with. Uh, I think that they, a lot of people have the viewpoint that it is a zero sum game and that uh, another project's success comes at the expense of mine. Uh, And it creates this dynamic in which people, I, I think, feel a bit like attacking one another. Um, what's different, I think, about Dash is a few different things that, that kind of differentiate our community. And and I'm not pretending like we don't have that no, no uh, one's component perfect. as well. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously um, individuals within our community that, that uh, kind of lash out at other projects from time to time. But I think when you look at the overall culture um, the couple things that differentiate us. One, I think we're a pretty pragmatic group. Um, you know, we look at, we attract people to our project that are interested in problem solving in a very pragmatic way. Uh, you know, accessing average consumers, um, solving real world problems. And so I think it just attracts a very pragmatic group to begin with. Uh, but also, we've had a long history of the leader, leaders of the project um, 
including Evan Duffield, myself, and, and many others that have been in leadership type of positions within the network that have espoused the idea that, number one, it isn't a zero-sum game, that there's likely to be multiple winners in this industry because from a technology perspective, you can't build one solution for everything. You can't be good at microtransactions and be fastest and be the most liquid and be, you know, you can't be everything. And so there's likely to be multiple solutions for different use cases. And so I, I think we, we kind of have this culture of it isn't a zero-sum game. There are ways to uh, compete in an indirect way. Um, where we're just addressing different issues in a different way. Uh, and I think that that leads to kind of a culture of looking at other projects and saying, hey, what can we learn from here? What, uh, where do we compete? Where do we not compete? Uh, how can we position ourselves within this market without getting angry over what other projects are doing? It's just silly. I mean, it really is. You don't see this in, in really any other industry where people get vehemently uh, emotional about what other solutions are doing. You really don't. Um, and I had, it's so interesting that you say that because I had Jeff Garzik on the show not long ago. And Jeff uh, worked under Linus Torvald at Linux at Red Hat for like 15 years. And he was telling me how he said, it's not like a good comparison because it, it, it never got as heated. But he said they'd have the same like fights over things about Linux. And instead of crypto Twitter, the office would like take sides and you'd have like battles and stuff like that over this, um, like big blocker type stuff for Linux. And it was interesting that he said that. But you're right. Listen, every every project, every coin, every token that we're that, that's involved in our space now, it's an experiment. And a lot of the times, most of the time, we don't really know what we're doing until after. So we're like throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. And then when it does stick, then moving forward, um, we can really work towards making it better or changing or growing or whatever. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time to, to get to that point. So if you look at like the origins of, of Dash, just like other coins and tokens, the origins and how something came to be, um, it's controversial, right? Uh, no denying it. People talk about it and people ask about it. You guys have largely been able to be very transparent, very transparent and very upfront, but there's always like, um, and so, you know, we can go into very, into, into very little, uh, detail, but basically in 2014, uh, Evan Duffield, uh, you know, the creator of, of Dash, uh, forked Litecoin with improvements, which is actually very interesting because I originally had thought it was a, a fork of Bitcoin. Um, but there were a lot of different changes. Um, and so I would even venture to say that modern day Dash is extremely different than what Bitcoin or Litecoin is today. And there were a few iterations, right? There was originally it was Xcoin, but then it was changed to Darkcoin, but that really wasn't like, you know, the best of names. So then it was Dash, uh, Digital Cash, it, it, it's amazing. It, 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 it's a great brandable name. Um, do you think that because of the controversy 
the controversy at launch and the questions about distribution. And, you know, that has changed. Distribution has gotten better. Um, do you think that because of these questions that were raised about how, what the origins of Dash were, do you think because of that, you guys are constantly working super hard with almost that like chip on your shoulder? So I guess to rephrase that question, do you think without that chip on the shoulder, you guys would be as sensitive and caring as much about product, about user experience? You think you would be caring as much if you didn't have that chip? I believe we would. Um, and I say that because um, that philosophy has been there since the beginning. And it was one of the reasons why Evan started the project in the first place. Um, and when I got involved, I was attracted by that. Um, I, I brought my payments experience to the table, which in many respects focuses a great deal of our effort on product. And so I, I think it would still be there. Um, but I do think a lot would be different. Uh, I think your average consumer, for example, the type of consumers that we're getting in Venezuela, they don't really care what happened back in 2014. Uh, they care whether it solves their issues that they're facing today. Um, and as time goes by, it, I think it becomes less and less of an issue even within the cryptocurrency community because as you pointed out, distribution gets better. Um, the uh, coin itself, even if you're running masternodes and collecting rewards for doing so, it's dilutive over time. Uh, more coins are going to other sources than to masternodes. And so, um, you know, distribution, even if you do nothing or sell none of it, none of it does get uh, better over time. And so, uh, five years on, five and a half years on, uh, that really isn't a, a real issue anymore. Uh, within the cryptocurrency communities, um, it can matter, but I think people are recognizing, well, clearly Dash is not a scam. We've introduced a ton of technology over the last five years. We introduced the first privacy features. We introduced masternodes, which of course are in hundreds of coins now. Uh, we introduced um, the concept of a DAO and a treasury. We're the longest running DAO in the industry. Um, we have incredible uh, legal structure surrounding the project. Uh, we've got chain locks, which prevent 51% attacks. We've got instant send. You know, it, you, you just go through all the innovation that Dash has brought to the table and the, you know, I think it's it's pretty laughable at this point uh, when you hear people talking about Dash being some kind of exit scam or something. Well, um, there's just no there's a education that needs to be continued to be done, and that you guys have been doing. How do you actually live your life on crypto? How do you do it? I've been doing it since I first got started with Bitcoin back in what, like 2011. But since 2016, I've been using the BitPay debit card to spend my Bitcoin on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's been such a great product that I've been using it for over three years. BitPay is now sponsoring Untold Stories, and they're going to be giving away free Visa debit cards to all my listeners. 
All you have to do is visit bitpay.com forward slash Charlie. It's such an easy card to use. You get the card in the mail, you download the BitPay app, you put Bitcoin on the app, and when you want to send Bitcoin from the app into your debit card, it only takes a few seconds and you can spend your Bitcoin anywhere credit cards are offered. It's really so easy. You almost wonder, like, why didn't this come out in 2011 when Bitcoin first launched? Well, it was very difficult to do. In fact, I actually tried to launch my own debit card, but I wasn't able to because the credit card companies were very reluctant to do it. But now BitPay launched their product and a lot of other companies have launched credit cards and debit cards using Bitcoin over the years. I still will only use the BitPay card. I'm very loyal to the brands I like um, and I hope you guys are too. The fees are very low. You can use it to withdraw cash at ATMs. You can use it all around the world with very, very low fees. A lot of companies have tacked on like super high fees. And I don't like that. So check it out. BitPay.com forward slash Charlie. That's BitPay.com forward slash Charlie. You get a free card. You don't have to pay for it. Usually the card costs like 10 bucks or more. There's a commitment, but you don't have to do that here. It's a free card. There's literally no reason to not try it out. I've been using it for over three years. So check it out. And thanks for listening to Untold Stories. And I want to talk about Bitpanda for a second. I mentioned at the beginning of the show that we're working with them and we have been for a few months now. They love me and I love them. So I'm asking that you give them some love and some support, especially if you're listening from Europe. Bitpanda is the leading European platform for investing in digital assets. It doesn't hurt. Actually, it helps that they're based out of Austria, which is one of my favorite countries in the world. And Vienna is one of my favorite cities in the world to visit. I try to go as frequently as I can. And, you know, meeting up with the Bitpanda team is always a pleasure. I really like Bitpanda's approach. Why? Well, basically what they're doing is to apply the same tech that we're used to from Bitcoin and apply it to other digitized assets. And, and I'll explain why. And, and if you check out their website, you'll understand how that actually works because they're really pushing hard for bringing crypto to the masses and, and educate people on the topic. Unlike other companies that just want to really give love to their customers, Bitpanda is giving love and, and, and spending money on mass adoption, just bringing more people into Bitcoin. With their recently launched educational platform, it's not only free, it's called Bitpanda Academy. It's not only free, but you'll actually learn and you'll earn five euro just for taking quizzes on their site. So it's a great way to force you to learn more about Bitcoin. Check them out. Again, they give me love, so I'm asking for you, my listeners, to give them some love. Over the years, I've learned a lot from crypto winters, a lot of the bull and bear markets, and there's a lot of things that I've learned. But one of the most important things that I've learned is that community is one of our strongest assets. It allows us to continue working together and talking to each other during the good times, the bad times, and hopefully not the ugly times. Over the past few months, I've been speaking with the Pepo team. These guys have spent years working with members of the crypto community and learning what we want in social sharing apps. And I'm really excited that Pepo is now one of the sponsors for Untold Stories. Even in the few weeks since they launched Pepo at DevCon, not that long ago, I've seen them make so many improvements like hashtag search based on feedback from people using the app and so many different features that combine the best parts 
of what we already love, that parts of Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, but it combines it in a perfect way with such a nice user experience and good security. It combines them so perfectly that it looks like, and it actually was built for the crypto community. You can download the app by going to pepo.com forward slash stories, and you can find me there at Charlie Shrem, the same as my Twitter handle. You know, I don't have the data in front of me, but I wonder if you did like a Google search trends, right? Um, of the words dash and scam. I bet you you'd see a chart that is just a continue continuous decline. I would put money on that, um, but I oh. don't I don't have the data in front of me. Regardless of what that chart says, I can tell you that that is the experience that I've had personally over the last. But don't five so years. don't you think then? Like if I were to re-ask you the question I asked you 10 minutes ago, or not 10 minutes ago, five minutes ago, if you didn't have that chip, right, don't you think you guys wouldn't have been able to do as good of a job than sitting here today? Maybe. I I, I personally don't think it would have changed my behavior or, or my objectives or the, the goals that I've set out for my involvement in the project. Um, I I don't really see much evidence of it. Uh, you know, within, within our work Slack, Slack is kind of the tool that we use to coordinate with all of our developers and, and people in other roles within the organization. And, uh, there isn't a lot of talk about it. Uh, there isn't a lot of talk about price. There isn't a lot of talk about anything except, you know, how are we going to make a better product? Um, what are the problems we need to solve? How are we getting integrated into more services? These are the types of things that we focus on because I, I think we just have this culture that if you do the right things, um, we'll continue to grow as a project. And and that's played out over the last five years. And so I just, I don't think we have this huge chip on our shoulder. I think that we view it as an unfortunate thing that we have had to deal with and it's diminishing of, in importance over time. I don't think you guys have a chip I think my point of the question, uh, maybe I shouldn't have used the word chip, was to show, you know, our listeners that you can use negative experiences in your life to your advantage. Um, and and Dash is a very good example of that. From the outset, you had an uphill battle. You can't disagree with me on that, right? You had not just Bitcoin that was around, that you had, you know, an uphill battle of of gaining market share and convincing people that you're not a scam, which you guys did very successfully. And the reason I, I, I asked the question, because, Ryan, it's a very common question with other, uh, you know, crypto entrepreneurs like yourself. And a lot of the times um, the answer is that basically, you know, and, and, and they won't they almost won't admit it. But, you know, you have I'll give you an example. You have someone who grew up in Argentina, you know, or Venezuela or a place where money wasn't sound. And now they are the CEO of a crypto company. You can't tell me that they didn't use those experiences and the chips that they've grown up with uh, to help, you know, push them through those walls that you get through as as, as an executive. And we all go through them. Um, and so I feel like that I use those experiences, you know, to move my, myself forward, too. Um, but moving on. No, moving I, on. I, I do think you're right I, in in the sense that it feels extra good. Yeah, when you, that's what I mean. When you accomplish something against naysayers. 
There's my fucking soundbite. That's exactly what I was trying to say. And so, yes, I, I do have that experience when, when, you know, we land some major integration or do something. It's like, because you're, st- you're sticking it to those people and those, and, and almost it's like not directly or consciously, but, 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 but proving people wrong is one of our like ultimate motivations in life. Yeah. So I would venture out to say that if you guys had launched without fanfare, you know, to use that term, um, I really don't think Dash would be as successful as it is today. And, you and might be right. Very, you might be right. This is a very unique opinion that maybe I haven't really shared with anyone before, Ryan. I, I, I'll be honest with you. Um, and maybe and people have people will listen to this and 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 have different thoughts or ideas on that. But it's a very good thing, right? I, I, if I never listen, if I never had went to jail, I would have never launched this podcast. Simple as that. And I could tell you why that's true. But but it's true. It's as simple as that. But I want to move on because, like I said, we could talk about this for hours, and we've been we're already half to the show. Um, so the. I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about the Dash DAO and the super blocks because those are very important and integral to, to, to the organization. The concept of master nodes is not new today. A lot of projects, coins and tokens are, are, are have that concept of master nodes and staking. And, and I want to talk about in a second why you guys were unique to that. But this was very cool. In 2015, when you guys launched the concept of super blocks and the Dash DAO, um, can you explain very briefly what those are? And when you guys launched that, um, you guys, when, when that was launched, were, what were the fears? What were the, the worries? You know, if you look at like, a okay, look, we're going to launch this Dash DAO. We're going to launch the Superblocks concept. Here are all the pros, right? What were some of the cons? What were some of the fears that obviously they didn't play out? But what were some of the fears like that could that you guys were worried about that could happen by by move by radically doing this experiment? Because you have to it was a radical the dash DAO is a radical experiment that works. Yeah. Uh <laughs> you're I, like, we, yeah. we know that we know that now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh when Dash launched the proposal system back in 2015. I think that there was a bit of a fear that this would become like some kind of honeypot for Evan and, and uh, the founder of Dash and, and that uh, the network would essentially allocate uh, a large amount of the rewards towards uh his team and that it would lead to centralization. I think that was one fear. Um, and I think there was another fear that it would drive away uh, investors or masternode operators because we were reallocating a portion of the block reward towards this proposal system. And it meant lower rewards for masternode operators. And um, there was actually a lot of debate that happened, as I understand it, quite privately about how much that allocation should be. Uh, Evan wanted it to be a bit higher towards 20% because he felt like that was a 
really strong use of the resources of the network. Um, and others didn't want to see it happen at all. And so I think there was a compromise of around uh, 10%. Um, just having really? conversations with masternode operators. And so I think there was just a great deal of skepticism that this would deliver anything of value. Of course, our proposal system has been kind of our killer feature. It, it really has allowed all of these local teams to be incentivized to go out and work on Dash adoption in Latin America and uh, Europe, uh, here in the United States. Um, and so we've seen these local teams crop up uh, in order to work on business development, marketing, uh, even customer support, and provide for our users in various ways. So it, it's really been a valuable asset, but uh, there was a great deal of, of fear that it would simply lead to waste and uh, in the process come, come at the expense of the masternode operators and the miners. And so I, I, I think that was kind of the biggest fear. Um, of course, the abuse never happened. Um, we, we have had some projects that have failed. We've... Uh, I'm a perfect example of that. Uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, you know, due to circumstances I, no. outside of your control, but yes. I'm, I, 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 it's important to talk about because like you said, abuse could happen. So, um, you know, it's a perfect example of, I got involved in Dash. I got so excited about, you know, I, I bought up a bunch of Dash and I got very excited and I saw a, a, a proposal, ability for a proposal, wasn't able to actually complete it at the end. And so the, the, the dollars were returned in that. Um, but I could definitely see how, uh, you could have uh, an issue where someone is abusing it, but I, I, why didn't that really happen? Well, I think there's some built-in mechanisms that prevent it from happening long-term. Yes, you do have to take a risk on people, right? I mean, people show up and have an idea and they want to try it, and sometimes it is worth taking a risk on that. Uh, but I think the DAO... Um, or the voters learned from experience what to look for. And that includes several things. One is, is this a person who's been a part of our community or has a reputation to uphold? If so, um, they're more likely to be trustworthy um, with the funds. And uh, if, if they're anonymous and just showed up and there's no track record to speak of whatsoever, that's probably a much higher risk. Uh, but what ends up happening over time is that certain entities or groups end up delivering value over a long period of time and become uh, a reliable uh, source of value that the network can allocate ton funding towards. Um, you know, we certainly try at Dash Core Group to be one of those entities as best as we can. We make mistakes, um, and you know we have uh, entered into projects that have failed. Uh, but ultimately, most things or most of the funding ends up being directed towards 
uh, trustworthy entities that have been delivering for a long time. And if at any point they stop, the funding does too. Um, it's very easy to quickly defund an entity if they uh, fail to deliver. And even even you, your salary and the Dash Core Group salary is you guys work for the users directly. And I don't just say that like someone from Ethereum the other day tweeted. He's like, if you own ETH, then all the Ethereum developers work for you. And and everyone responded. And they said, yeah, it's great. Like, you know, it's nice to say, but in reality, it's just not true. But in Dash, it is true, right? Because and, and it's not like your whole salary for the year is paid up at front. You just like everyone else, have to wait for that monthly super block. The master nodes have to continue voting for you guys and want you in there. Um, and what's really cool is that if the master, if, if if you start acting insincerely, negatively, or start you know being a bad actor, uh, in in the next vote in a few weeks, the master nodes vote you out. How cool is that? Yeah, I. It's one of the criticisms I have of ICOs. They get this trainload full of money at the beginning of these ICOs and the accountability just isn't there. They may have set up a foundation or something of that nature that they control, but it's essentially outside the hands of the average user to influence that in any way. And so what we've done is set up a system that uh, encourages accountability on a almost too frequent basis monthly. Um, but, uh, it, it really does make sure that there's a high degree of accountability there. And I really do work for the network. Um, that's so cool. You know, I, I work for like, Dash Core Group, but Dash Core Group works for the network. So, um, and interestingly, Dash Core Group is essentially controlled and owned by the network. We set up a trust, issued all of the shares of Dash Core Group to that trust and the trust named beneficiaries are the masternode operators. So we're accountable to the voters who allocate that funding. And none of the money allocated to it belongs to me or any other member of Dash Core Group. And so we have a fiduciary duty back to the network. That was very intentional. We needed to create a fiduciary duty back to the network. I have to act in the network. That, that word fiduciary duty has is a very... Uh, strong and deep legal term too. It's not like you're just saying that you've, you've created this, this almost legal structure you, you alluded to earlier. Can you um, kind of expand on that a little bit? What we wanted to do was create um, checks and balances almost. Yes. Uh, you know, looking at what works for corporations as inspiration. Um, but that's not really possible in a decentralized network that you don't have shareholders for. And so um, we kind of wanted many of the same attributes. We didn't want the network micromanaging a team and making decisions about which version of this software uh, should be the one that is deployed to the network or you know what features should they work on or those types of micromanaging decisions, we feel that that's best left to an expert, uh, someone like a product manager or a programmer to make those hard decisions. But uh, we did want really strong oversight to make this sustainable for the long term. 
long after I'm gone and Evan is gone from the project and so on, uh, we want this to live on and to have a high degree of accountability to the network. And so that's why we structured it the way that we did. Um, the network itself elects the trust protectors and the trustee, which is a legal role within the trust, has to abide by their wishes. So essentially, think of it like our board that's elected by the network. And you know, if I'm doing a bad job, they can come in and do surgery and remove me specifically. Uh, and so that is something that, that was one of the first things I did when uh, Evan left the project and, and I assumed uh, leadership for the team was I really wanted to make this as sustainable and make myself as accountable as possible. And that's, that's See, the route that we went. So you've sustainability and, you know, almost like preparing for the long term. Are you, are you familiar with like the story of Noah's Ark? Yes. Everyone's familiar with the story. So, so the specifics, um, I almost see you guys as like Noah preparing the ark while the rest of the world is going about doing their, their thing. Noah is preparing for this impending, you know, like flood. So he's preparing for it. Um, and, you know, by getting the animals in the ark, blah, blah, blah. But the point is that it's almost like what you're telling me is you're saying to yourself that we need to prepare for the long term, like the 5, 10, 20 year road. Whereas a lot of other projects are just chugging along, doing whatever they're doing without much uh, long term vision. Some of them by by design, by the way, some of them do that on purpose. Yeah. Um, but and, 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 and I guess for for better or for worse. Um, but how are you also planning for the future? So everything is kind of like stable and growing now. Um, but what's down the road dash evolution dash force. What are some things that you, you know, are working on, even if it may not launch for a year or two, I think you've proven yourself to be able to, to launch things down the road. You know, a lot of projects will say, yeah, we're going to launch it in two years, but they never do. Uh, now you can almost focus on long-term. What are some things that you, that you want to change that, the, that, that, the project needs, you know, needs to be changed fundamentally for the future. Well, we talked a bit about the improvements we're making to the user experience. Um, there's two major products that we're releasing in the near future. Um, and in fact, uh, the first one is going to be released to a test net uh, later this month um, in about a week or two. Um, and basically, those two products combined will deliver a substantial improvement in the user experience. And we think that that will accelerate our growth in transactions and users. Um, the first product is called Dash Platform. Dash Platform is essentially a platform that enables applications to be built on Dash. And I'm not talking about smart contracts. I'm talking about the ability to create an application that interfaces with the network and stores data within the network. We call them data contracts. Um, and I'll explain a little bit about why we're doing that and what that enables. But it's a combination of a decentralized API that allows any uh, system, including legacy 
applications and things to be able to interface with the network. It includes software development kits to make certain functions easier for developers to consume and build things on. It includes Dash Drive that basically allows data to be stored within the network and the developer gets to define the data hierarchy, the data schemas, um, whatever it is that their structure requires. And uh, those things combined are called Dash Platform and they basically uh, enable these applications to live within the Dash network. The first application that we're launching for that is called Dash Pay. And it's a lot like a Venmo app. And uh, that's the application that will allow a user to create a username, uh, send a friend request to Charlie. Charlie accepts that. And now Ryan and Charlie are, are contacts within the network. And now I can just make a payment to Charlie. I don't have to contact you to obtain a address to send money to, and then I, I don't have to check that through a second channel to make sure we weren't subject to a man-in-the-middle attack. I don't have to reuse addresses every time I want to send money to Charlie. The network will take all care of all of those things for me and make it very easy. And if you've ever used Venmo, it's very clear why it's popular. It's really easy to use. I can, you know, click on anybody in my contact list, send them funds or request it. And yeah. One of the reasons Venmo is also super popular is, is the ability to instantly uh, withdraw money from your Venmo account back to your, um, your bank account, like through like a debit card push or whatever. Um, but Venmo looks good and it works well. So with, with Dash Pay, you know, if, if I just saw Dash Pay in the app store, I wouldn't know. And, and I didn't know anything about crypto. The name sounds great. Dash Pay. It's fast. And it's a payment app, right? Um, at this almost juncture that you're about to go through, that other companies have gone through, like Metal Pay um, and some of the other applications that projects have built on top of their, their platform or their blockchain, the fundamental, like, juncture that they get to is, do we want to build an app where the users will never know that they're actually using crypto, using blockchain technology? However, like you said, the ability to do like non-reusable addresses and, and you know, without being subjected to man, man in the middle attacks, that's an amazing, you know, feature of technology, not having to use addresses, however, not relying on a centralized database. So the question is, will you guys build it for build it for a non-crypto audience or will you you know will you know that you're using crypto while you're using the app you will know that you're using dash while you're using the app um but keep in mind we're targeting markets that cryptocurrency is well suited for and that dash in particular is well suited for with instant transactions and so when you consider that, uh, the groups that we're accessing uh, may actually prefer cryptocurrency over alternatives. A perfect example here is, is Venezuela, where we've seen probably the greatest amount of adoption. Users there don't want to deal with fiat. They actually want to transact with cryptocurrency. They're, they've learned about it and they're interested in it. 
And so I, I think that, you know, the markets that we're targeting, that's actually a good thing. The second thing I would say is we're integrating into services directly within our wallet that allow the cash in and cash out. If you don't want the cryptocurrency fluctuation risk, you can easily hedge that out. Uh, an example here is in our wallets, uh, we've integrated directly with Uphold. And so you can convert to fiat currencies, other cryptocurrencies, and you can do that directly within your Dash wallet. And so, you know, we're, we're trying to reduce the friction of getting in and out, you know, just like you said, be able to send money to your bank account. Um, and we're doing that through partners like Uphold. And then making the user experience of the cryptocurrency itself similar to the leading products that they're already accustomed to. We want to be relevant to people. We want and in order to be relevant, there shouldn't be this huge learning curve about how cryptocurrency works and what these addresses are and how can I get one from somebody else. Um, that, that, you know, the attitude oftentimes in the industry is, well, people need to learn about it. And my reaction is, no, you need to make a product that they don't need to learn about. Like, that should be the attitude of the industry, but our industry is led by uh, ideological uh, and do you, very. But do you think we're? I, I know what you're going to say, and and not to interrupt you, but are we still led by that? I know that in the beginning we were anarcho-capitalist, ideological, and and I'm one of them. Like I'm, that's why I got into. It. I'm a huge ideological person, but um. You, but, but I'm not leading this industry anymore. Uh, I don't want to be leading this industry anymore. Do you think we're still being led by ideological people or is that changing or thawing? I think it's thawing over time. But if I compare crypto to other industries, um, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of focus on engineering leaders. Um there's a lot of focus on academic solutions rather than pragmatic ones. Uh, but what's the vision? What's what's the because I, I, to, to to wrap this whole show together, um, the people who say that Ryan are people who believe that our current financial ecosystem is broken, and to build you know the Venmos and PayPal on top of the existing rails just don't work. Fine. I think you and I would agree with that. Then there, there are ones that go further. And, and I know you agree with that because that's who you guys are, you know, are, are trying to enter those markets like in Venezuela, Argentina, where money is not sound. Um, but there, the, the reason that money is not sound is the result of like bad policy or bad government or bad, um, you know, cor corruption in the U.S., we don't have that. So the ones who are who are kind of the, the naysayers, I think, you know, the ones that I've spoken to are to push back against Dash. And, I, and I'd like you to respond to this. They they almost say like, yeah, Dash is cool, but because of the governance and because of the 
the way that 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 the legal structures are built and in in the way that there's a in in office a lot of those people will say that if because of those things it's fundamentally flawed because then you can have let's just say like a government walk up to you and say we want you to freeze these transactions or um you know the actual censorship resistance is not there and if we don't have central you know if we don't have this you know censorship resistance if we don't have the inability for someone to freeze or reverse our transactions, then what are we really doing here in the first place? Well, my reaction would be Dash Core Group doesn't operate the Dash network. Similar to Bitcoin Core developers don't control the Bitcoin network. Um, if the government were to raid my offices, uh, and force us to change the code in some way that would allow the government to monitor or change transactions. Who would download it? Who would download it? I, I mean, they could throw me in prison. Uh, That's a good point. The, the code is all open source. Yeah, and and so and and we don't operate it in the same way that we, you know, I, nobody. Uh, controls the Bitcoin network. We don't control our own network, so that that could never happen. And if uh, if that were to happen, if Dash Core Group legal entity were to be shut down, the DAO would allocate money to some suddenly anonymous developers that popped up in our GitHub and say, "Okay, I'm ready to take the torch forward." Wow. And so. Yeah, it would be disruptive for probably a few months until a new group of developers uh, found a way to work together and in a you know collaborative fashion, and and uh, the funding of those individuals would continue. And so I, you know, these doomsday scenarios don't make any sense in a decentralized network in the same way that they don't make sense in Bitcoin's decentralized network. On this show today, we dispelled a lot of these, a lot of the, you know, what the naysayers say. Um, and on this show, you and I have disagreed. And and that's very important because to be able to have conversations where where two people don't agree but respect each other, um, that's the future of our industry. Uh, you guys have been able to, to do that. And so Ryan Taylor, you're the CEO of the current the current dash core group hopefully for the future but like you said dash exists above above all of us and as long as all the parties continue to maintain that balance um the project will continue to go on even if one party in that balance disappears and i think you've taught us that on this episode so ryan again thank you so much for coming on the show today uh, very intriguing conversation. A lot of people are going to have questions and thoughts and would like to to learn more about Dash. So if someone didn't know about Dash and now they're more interested, where is the first place that they should go to learn more about it? Well, I, I think the starting point for anyone would be Dash.org, our website. And uh, down at the bottom, you'd see links to all kinds of different groups and discussion areas, including links to our Reddit, links to 
uh, Discord channel, Telegram groups, um, all kinds of different resources that are available. Um, and there's a lot of uh, really useful things on the website itself in terms of things people can do. Um, we have a gift card uh, uh, section that allows you to save uh, on purchases if you pay in Dash. And uh, so there, there's like practical ways that you can incorporate Dash into your life and uh, save money in the process. And so we, we've got all of that information on Dash.org. Yeah. I'm going to add one more thing to that. Um, one more thing to that. And, and, and when they visit dash.org, they'll be able to get to the forums and to the uh, message boards and the email lists. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I know that in other projects, there's a lot of hostility and there's, you know, it's looked down on when you're new and you want to ask questions about it. Um, don't be afraid the the folks who are involved in Dash, the the Dashers, or what do you guys call yourself? Dashites, Dashers? I guess Dashers. I, Dashers I'm not are really very sure. friendly people. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, if, you're, if you engage in a respectful manner uh, and ask tough questions, uh, you're going to get respectful answers. And that that's just the, the culture of the community. Ryan, thank you again so much for coming on the show and taking the time out to do that. Very much appreciate the opportunity to come on. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. New episodes of Untold Stories are released every Tuesday and Thursday at 7 a.m. EST on untoldstories.com, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Untold Stories is produced by Jason Yanowitz, Michael E. Polito, Reed Hannaford, and Riley Silbert of Blockworks Group. Our account executives are Gina DeFelice and Julie Muroff. Our content is written by Kathy Zolo, Ronnie Tishner, and Scott Offer. Special thanks to Wayne Dallaire from Jump Dog Audio Productions. And of course, I'm your host, Charlie Shrem. You can follow me on Twitter, at Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation. Send me some messages, feedback, or anything you want to say. And remember, please give some love to my sponsors, and I'll see you next week. Remember, strength in numbers. And information is power.